Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. We're glad to have you here on the S2 Cognition Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, and today we've got a very special guest with us, one we're honored to be on with. He's Brandon Orr, a Cognitive Performance Specialist for the United States Special Operations Command. He has a PhD in Counseling Psychology with an emphasis in Sport and Performance Psychology, and also did his postdoc fellowship in Neuropsychology. He primarily focuses on cognitive performance enhancement for increased lethality and stress metabolism through complex dynamic systems theory and constraint-based modeling performance coaching and enhancement in speeded and dynamic cognition for advanced skills including urban combat, maritime operations, marksmanship, CQB, and ODA optimization. This conversation is all about how the Special Operation Forces space was missing the ability to measure speeded cognition, why the measures that are currently being used do not capture the demands a soldier faces when kicking open a door and executing into the unknown how fragile high performance is, and how knowing each operator's wiring helps them relate to them and identify their advantages and disadvantages in performance. For those that are new here, welcome. We're excited to have you today, and for those that are returning listeners, we always appreciate your support. To help us continue our growth, we ask that you subscribe, rate, and review our show. Hope you enjoy. Brandon, thanks so much for joining us today. Can you describe working with uh, special forces and operators? What's the difference between them and maybe some collegiate athletes that you've worked with in the past? You've heard the term tactical athlete, and that is one. I'll try to avoid strong language because I know it's it's popular nomenclature, but it, it has never rested well with me simply off of it, the manner in which it forsakes contextualization. Number one, this is not sport. There is no scoreboard, and that's a really critical point. But number two, are there athletic components to this? Absolutely. But athletic performance is ultimately determined by the ability to establish psychological and physical prowess over another as determined by a win-loss outcome as evidenced by a scoreboard. So when you think about the difficulties, whether it is in an assessment and selection environment or it's in an operational environment like this, one of the most difficult differences is the fact that you don't have a scoreboard. You don't have an objective measure that says, okay, from an assessment and selection standpoint, gentlemen, if we had a scoreboard, you're down 72 to seven and a half. Not a good day for you guys. On the other side to say... You know, whether it's at the individual or the macro level, that was a really solid day of training because that was a really good team and we beat them 42 to 14. You don't have that. One of the most difficult elements for me coming into this was the fact that we don't have objective performance data. What does it mean to be a good combat controller? What does it mean to be a good soft medic? So on and so forth. And within the field, what I would call an overcorrection is to shift to attributes, work ethic, integrity, character, teamwork, selflessness, respect. I certainly have a part within 
assessment and selection. They, they absolutely have a part within fit as it relates at the operational level to the, to the team, to the cell, to the troop, so on and so forth. But you could have a guy that has incredible attributes. In general, people really like the guy in terms of likability. But when it comes to asking him to do six 25-meter underwaters on a 130 interval across those six, he surfaced prematurely 37 times. Like, hey, you're likable, but does that make you selectable? Hmm. Or likable guy uh, does a really good job within the team room of conducting himself in an interpersonal fashion. But when it comes to behind the gun – uh, on average, he's 6.7 shots out of five, and he busts time on every single CTE. Probably not a guy <laughs> that fits the bill as it relates to selectability. CTE, uh, what is that for the audience? A critical training evaluation. Critical so that would be uh, that would be like a a combine event behind a gun. Got it. You know, there's a there's a time standard, a shot standard, a execution course of fire. Uh, process standard. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't mind, can you dive into, how did you find what we do? Where did your curiosity peak? Coming into it again, off of this objective piece, uh, I am always going to be bound by that. So if you kind of, what are some of your blister points? Well, one blister point is tactical athlete. Another blister point is mental toughness. All right. Another blister point is, attributes, subjective versus objective. Again, absolute known blister point for me was that by and large, this ubiquitous, mysterious construct of cognitive performance is largely devoid of anything objective. What does it mean if if we could establish it and we could get it definable, and if we can get it definable, then we can get it measurable. And if we've got those two, then we can make it operational in the sense of being able to develop it. I don't care if you're taking resilience or cognitive performance or fill in the blank across any other type of metric. You have to have some type of behavioral expression that says this is the output of processing, reaction time, resilience. What I was hypothesizing coming in was that that was going to be the thing that we were going to be largely void of. So as I stepped into this current capacity, all we had was simple reaction time with the delta residual to choice reaction time. And then this kind of ubiquitous DSST, digital substitution test. Off of that, I'm then in this space where in preparing them for an elite level selection, a tier one selection, or an advanced elite level school like Sephardic or team inter team intra personal optimization and performance enhancement. How do we know that we've actually enhanced anything? Right. Okay. So we know across brain health, like I can take ANAM and I can look at verbal fluency. I can look at short and long-term memory recall. And I've got some performance pieces I can extract from that over time to say we are enhancing or degrading. This field in particular is largely void of that. If you look across the spider graphs of what they try to use, 
They try to use verbal fluency, auditory processing, uh, you know, digital symbol, and then they'll get kind of cute, which I think is obnoxious and careless to throw in HRV. And now all of a sudden, it's an operator performance enhancement system. For what? Performance within what domain? So what I knew was we are missing this piece that separates Allie from Wiley, from Harrison, from John. And if Allie is at the top of the competency hierarchy and John's at the bottom of the competency hierarchy, if all I simply have is simple reaction time, choice reaction time, a digital simple substitution test, how many words that start with the letter A <laughs> that he can come up with in two minutes. But everything that we're using to establish this rack and stack is time and shots out of five behind the gun, right? Or choice points that happen within the house in terms of you know, CQB and combat clearing. Well, then we're missing context specificity in a gross, gross mm -hmm. way. Because of that, uh, the conversations to start happening between myself and Seth of, look, man, how are we going to get at this? And so that was kind of when S2 presented a better opportunity than what we had previously known, uh, which was AIQ. And, and certainly not in any way trying to speak to that turf war at all. But what we did was we pivoted off of the ANAM and off of the traditional cognitive performance, and we just took a look at AIQ. Well, fortuitously, at the exact same time that we were using AIQ in all of our different domains, I got connected to S2. So we were able, within our organization, to do a comparison of the performance enhancement that we're trying to do across AIQ and S2 and which one is giving us, A, better performance outcomes, but I would put that more in a holistic sense. Which one is giving me a greater rapport building between myself and the operator? Hmm. And it was carte blanche S2. Hmm. Uh, I, I, the probably biggest element is the granularity. When we think about the performance demands that are occurring right. uh, or, or being asked of these guys – you look then at perception speed and search efficiency and distraction control and impulse control and spatial awareness and response flexibility and decision flexibility. And you're like, that is everything that happens at the millisecond level when that door opens into an unknown room with unknown entities with millisecond demand actions that have to occur based off of rule structures in the context of life or death. That was how I came into S2. Yeah, Brandon, you are, you're laying out the case that we, you know, we certainly believe that there, there's such a difference between the way and the, the ways you conceptualize and the methods you use to capture cognition. Cognition is kind of this big umbrella term. And in sports, and we've seen it now in military and law enforcement, the you know, anything that says cognition is better than not having anything at all, but not all cognition is at the same level. 
And I loved how you just described this. You know, things like IQ, anything that's IQ-based or neuropsychology-based is intended to measure everyday sorts of thinking skills and, you know, book smarts and uh, everyday kinds of reasoning. And what you just described is absolutely a different level of cognition, speeded cognition, we sometimes call it, where you've got to make sub-second, sub-half-second sorts of decisions and that just engages an entirely different set of cognitive systems, and you need to use an entirely different set of methodologies that have been developed in the brain sciences over decades to measure those split-second systems. Um, I, I'm, tell us how that distinction has really been galvanized since you've, you know, you, now you're thinking at that millisecond level versus at the more uh, global kind of abstract everyday sorts of reasoning skills. This is where I'm super grateful for my kind of my coaching background that then evolved into the academic background that then led to everything I'm doing now. Because from a coaching background, the number one set that was the most difficult at that time in college football for us was three by one. So off of the defense's point of view, you've got three receivers to the defense's right with an offset one receiver to the defense's left. Let's deal with that. Well, we've got to account for the fact of all the complications and manipulations that they can do to us with the three receiver set. Throw within that, is it two slots and an X? Is it a slot X and a Y? Is it a slot X and an H? Is it a slot X and um, a running back? Like, that's a problem. So if I overemphasize dealing with the three, then I'm now vulnerable to the backside one. Because if I play zone there, but then play man here, well, now I'm vulnerable to the backside, right? Now, let's say that I build a coverage that takes care of those three. Great. Guess what? Those two guys, quarterback, receiver, they're two running backs. So now you're vulnerable to the run. What that laid out for me as I progressed into the different entities was – for complex problems, number one, there are no simple answers. Number two, they rarely come from a single field of study. Right? Okay. So then move into the academic side. I will use the strong language of I hate mental toughness. If in, in the academic communism, if I could ban the use of mental toughness within <laughs> sport and performance psychology, I 100% would. And that's not to say that like Cucciardi and, and, and Jones haven't done some awesome research on it. But here's the deal. It's not definable. If it's not definable, then it's not measurable. If it's not definable and measurable, then it's not operational. So off of this, the question really becomes when you take away – the ability to be deliberate. That's massive, right? Because this simple answer that people want off of cognitive performance within well, cognitive performance is ultimately processing. Okay. As evidenced by what, what is the behavioral expression of processing? Hmm. And so at that point, that's kind of where I lean in and say, okay, processing as a behavioral performance expression as many words as you can come up with that start with the letter A in two minutes. What do I get to be? I get to be deliberate and I get to be intentional. I can go from apple to apricot to avocado. 
Okay, I'm out of fruits and vegetables. I can now go to animals. I'm at antelopes. And okay, well, let's shift over to nuts. You've got, uh, I don't know, nuts that start with an A. But like, and now you can see sludge has been introduced. But within that cognitive resistance, I'm able to metabolize that in as much time and with as little consequence as possible, other than I'll have a smaller N at the end. When I think about it, the difference between cognition ubiquitously and dynamic cognition is the stress that gets introduced. And to metabolize that stress, to metabolize its impact on my output level of performance is I don't have the luxury of being careful, intentional, and deliberate. I have to do it in a speeded demand. And that context is king, and it cannot be captured by the traditional forms of verbal fluency, audio discriminatory, uh, visual processing, digital substitution. To, it is completely forsakes the context of dynamic and speeded. Right. And there's probably nothing a soldier has to do in reactionary form that takes two minutes. Right. I mean, we're talking milliseconds. You know, it's interesting you bring up verbal fluency. I, I worked in Mika Verfai's lab for a, a long time who, um, you know, as a card-carrying neuropsychologist, sort of like it, she used to shine lights on these tasks. So she looked at the apply, actual application of verbal fluency and what was it measuring and were there other ways to influence it? And so she actually... Uh, pointed out that things like verbal fluency are less of a fluency task and can be more of a memory task or more of a, you know, a imagination task. So if, if I give you the word F, what do you do? You can give me two or three right out of the gate that are indicative of verbal fluency, but then you go into your bedroom and start looking around for things that start with the letter F, right? Or you remember, you have to remember these things. And so those are not the skills, if you will, that athletes and soldiers have to do. There's there's no point in which when you're operational, and, and this is where we start to get into that gray line of, and, and Scott and I have this discussion all the time about intellect and IQ and reasoning, all of that goes into, because I'm sure when you work with your special forces, that's a piece of it, right? You've got to have the intellect to be able to understand, okay, what is our mission, as a football player, we've got to understand what are the what is the complexity of this defense? What are my assignments? What are my roles? But then when you get on the field, it's a whole new ball game because you've got to execute when the ball is snapped, right? And you can think of all these scenarios. You can prepare for all these scenarios. But when you kick that door down, doesn't matter. It's a whole new world in which you've got to see, put together what you see into an action in less than half a second. So that's where I think the application part, and that's where your work with us, some of the things that you've written have just blown my mind just because of the application down to the really just detail that that really matters, right? And so I get asked this question a lot. How do you take what you guys do and apply it when bullets are flying. And they use the term bullets are flying for a quarterback, right? Very different 
if you throw a, a pick and you come back to the sidelines and your consequences are you get yelled at, right? You're in the military theater and you make an impulsive mistake and you shoot a friendly, very different consequence. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about the application and just some of these other overlays that can impact this. I know that, uh, you know, when we start looking at simple reaction time, it's not that easy. There's never a simple reaction time. You're, you're, you're reacting to something that has conflict. Um, and so how do you manage that in real life? Yeah. Within as much control as possible. If we take what we know about human agency and locus of control, from a conceptual and a theoretical framework, right? Okay. We want to control for as many things as we possibly can. Again, this is the beautiful spotlight on S2 because within that locus of control, I can know distraction control, perception speed, search efficiency, and on down the line, right? So that when the door opens, what is A, and this is the way that I go about it. I don't know that that it's right or it's wrong or it's best or it's worse. But where I go is off of that dynamic systems theory. I am always going to go towards what is the constraint. If I know that the constraint is impulse control and that this operator has a 23 in impulse control, but a 93 in distraction control, then what we're going to focus on is a segmented shielding of attention across this sequential visual processing door opens i'm finding the center of the room off the center of the room i'm finding threat or obstacle and that's dictating direction of travel once we got direction of travel then i'm moving to right hand left hand center mass or if they've got a really high search efficiency and a really high perception speed, then I can probably get them to take that down in a triangle where they're taking in left, right, and center mass in a single snapshot mm -hmm. instead of left, right, center. Off of that, then we're moving to execute the shot, take aim, execute shot. And then off of that, we're moving to what within the room warrants the next decision to be made. Is there an open door? Is it a closed door? Where is it oriented within the room? Because that's the next phase. Hmm. So if we can preload those rule structures and we can preload in an if-then fashion, when I see this, do this then all of that becomes this very segmented, although dynamic and quick, but this segmented checklist that this guy is moving through. And because he is advantageous on distraction control, he gets really good at taking those applied reps of segment, 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 get to my position within the room, follow on. That's the applied art of this. Brilliant. Uh, and being super regimented. Okay. Within that, what is he susceptible to? He's susceptible to, because of that impulse control, if he forsakes the PID, 
the, the, the positive identification of that target, if he forsakes that, what's he going to be prone to? He's going to be prone to what we call a canary kill, shooting a non-threat. In training, the gravity of it is, man, what follows from there is window or aisle. <laughs> it's that simple. You're going home, man. You want window or aisle. Hmm. We don't even have to talk about the moral injury that follows from if that were to be something that occurred in theater. These are not my stories to, to tell, but they're out yeah. there specifically like Sean Ryan's podcast, the way that he gets down into the operator's life. Uh, John Lavelle tells, I think he captures it the best of the lack of forgiveness that comes at the individual level for having made that mistake. Hmm. But it happens in a millisecond. And yeah. I've seen it where you can be as regimented as you want. You can have the guy with the really solid 97, 98 S2, certainly advantageous to this theater, to this arena. What I have said to Seth, what discussions we've had, and what I continue to tell myself and be marveled at, number one is how fragile high performance is. It's it's massively fragile. Um, because of my affinity, I think the NFL proves that, how fragile it is. But my favorite sport where I think it you really see it is collegiate wrestling. It just shows how fragile it is where in one second a guy is up and in, the net, in that time he's lost. It's done. He took second place because of a second. Um, that's the first piece. The second piece is, man, they're human. Mm. And I have to constantly remind myself, like, I don't think that performance anxiety, that they're as susceptible to it as they actually are because I watch them in train up. And I know what to expect. And then you get to either eval or kind of moment of truth, if you will. And you see a totally different guy, hmm. a totally different performer. And like, how is that possible? Well, it's quite possible in this sense. Performance anxiety is nothing more than a cognitive interruption. Um, and I, I don't ever kind of lose the appreciation for that phenomenon that we can train this and train this off of these rule structures and over and over and over again. But let's not forget number one, how fragile it is. And number two, that they're yeah. human. It's long winded. So I apologize for that. Oh, that's a great, that's a great answer. And it addresses a lot of the things that we discuss. I think a real highlight from, from what you discussed and, and to be quite transparent, the way we were always hoping S2 would be used is that you are learning about how your soldier is wired to process information and to react to information, and you're training him and using him in that way. Like this, this is this guy's strengths. So let's lean into those strengths and put you in a position where that's what you're doing and trying to minimize those weaknesses. And I think... You know, for all of our druthers, that's that's what upsets me about, about like pro sports, where it's just yeah. about the selection piece. Like we're just interested in selecting, and that's not really what what we're here for, right? And I'm I'm sure you saw this in high level college sports. There are kids that can play, but if they're put in a system 
that is not designed to to vibe or, or or gel with the way that they process the game, they're not moving on. They're not your guy, right? And there may be 10 other systems out there that really work for that athlete. So to hear you using this in a way that is just really beneficial to the soldier, which I know ultimately is beneficial to the whole unit and and everything is just, it's stunning. It's remarkable. I'm truly grateful that we have the opportunity to work with you guys. Yeah, 100%. The, the anecdote that I'll use is this, and I think you guys have seen it in like the good news snippet that I sent up, but Scott and I talked about this beforehand. Um, I'm not going to share the tactics publicly for obvious reasons. Okay. But I will just say this, look for the way in which things have to happen in the house, whether you have a one man cell or a six man cell, each individual has a rule structure for what their direction of travel is, but they then have a rule structure for how to get their sector of fire established. Right. What can be tricky about this is that you're traveling to, say, the right, but your sector of fire starts to the left. And so then your sectors of fire work initially opposite of your movement of direction, okay, but then finish opposite of your physical position in the room. And then there's another component that comes in of where you need to finish which I call the index that has its own rule structure. Here's what was super cool about this. We know off of this individual that they're low on decision complexity. They're low on response flexibility. They're low on spatial and they're low on distraction control. So the cadre are running this individual through this problem set. He's doing it in front of his peers. So now you have, for lack of a better term, I mean, you've got kind of social harassment. You've got public evaluation. You've got known entities of performance anxiety indexing and, and kind of compounding their influence. And the cadre are just repeating the course of fire to him, right? And it's not registering. I watched him seven times in a row, if memory serves me correctly, botch this drill completely. Here's what's super cool, not because of me, but because of the way in which S2, ultimately, the great utilization of it is cadre enhancement. The cadre turns to me and he says, Doc, you got anything for this guy? And I simply put into instructional self-talk a simple script. And again, to keep things close to our chest in terms of what our rule structures are, I'm not going to share that. But just think of it as if we're doing a mag change on pistol, right? I fire, release, dump, feed. That's instructional self-talk for a guy that's low on distraction control or is kind of high on excitability and has low inhibitory function. He's going to be really prone to either do that too quickly and get out in front of his skis in terms of his motor skill ability, or he's simply just going to forget what the performance execution course is. Hmm. So it was very simple. Hey man, number one, change your position. You need to step center. You need to start from center because this convergent position on the door frame is not working for you. 
step center and then release, dump, feed. In an instructional self-talk, I gave him three cues. He stepped up, step center, bang, bang, bang. Not only did he shoot it properly, he shot it faster than everybody else on that cell. That then tells the cadre, huh, how do you know that? And that, <laughs> that, that was the after action from the cadre to me. How, did, how do you know that? Because yeah. I don't know this guy. I've never worked with him. I've simply spent an hour with him on S2, but I have his brain pick. And that's what we call it. We call it the brain performance IQ. I have his brain pick. And that's what I told the cadre. I know that he's low on response flexibility. I know that he's low in decision complexity. I know that your instructions to him were too confusing. I know he's low in spatial awareness, so he's not really able to conceptualize what he's trying to do in terms of his course of fire and his movement and his PODs. And he's low on distraction control. So if you haven't prescripted a motor plan and prescripted performance cues, his brain is just going to turn into a monkey jumping from branch to branch. That moment right there changed everything in terms of my integration with that task force. Anybody using S2 that is simply using it for uh, assessment bought a Ferrari and is putting unleaded fuel in it. (laughs) You're, You're not getting the full performance extraction of the genius behind uh, this tool because the the granularity of enhancement comes from the manner in which this makes you a better coach. And I only know that because I was a coach beforehand. If I knew this about my corner, this can inform whether or not I'm playing bump and run or I'm asking him to play zone. Am I asking him to play zone from eight yards or 12 yards? Am I asking him to play bump and run as a mock bump and run, but then drop into coverage? And does he have that ability to know where to drive his eyes when I turn him into a bail off bump and run? If I had that type of stuff, man, I, I believe everything could have been massively different at a coaching level in terms of getting the most out of my dues, which was the thing that kept me up at night. Yeah. How do I get the most out of A, B, DC SC. I wanted to, you touched on something. You sit down with these operators and you review the evaluation. And if I've learned anything about our operators is that they are as serious and as committed as any humans on the planet to perfecting and being the best they can be in their tasks and in their, their execution. How has the response been? Can you shed some light on, on kind of the, the experience yep. from the operator's point of view and, and how this has been received and how they connect it to what they do? Because ultimately, it's, it's got to have something that connects, right? When you give a general neuropsych or an IQ test, it, it, you kind of get a sense for it, but it doesn't really connect to this operational execution. So share with us a little bit about what you've observed from the operator's perspective. Yeah, we'll, we'll start with, um, I'll call it the annual POTUS review. Right? This is, we have three echelons that we work through to assess our operators every 18 months. So you're talking blood, brain, body composition, physical, kind of a physical fitness, if you would. Like we're running the whole 
gamut. Off of the brain, what are we using? Well, it's TBI-centric. So we're using verbal fluency, simple reaction, choice reaction, DSST, and balance. Right? Okay. Off of that, how many dudes have come back to me when they get a DSST at, say, 60, when my highest is at 130? That's basically a frequency count of repetitions in a two-minute interval. So I've got guys at 65, and I've got guys at 130. Of the guys that are at 65, they know that there's 130. We've got internal rack and stack for what that means for you in terms of percentile rank. How many of those dudes have come to me and said, okay, so what? What does that mean? Hard fact right now, zero. Think about how many we run. <laughs> this is an annual review of thousands of personnel. None, not a one. Now, juxtapose that with S2. The very first guy that I did has a very elite skill, sorry, elite school that he wants to accomplish that he previously failed. And you get two shots at this school. So he's in his ride or die phase. Put him on it. He's very skeptical. Uh, we spent 15 minutes in the mindset brief. Like this is what we're trying to accomplish here. And he's like, yeah, man. Uh, look, whatever, man. They told me I had to come and do this. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Got it. Um, and I, it, all I said to him was, all right, man, bring your courage. So run it out. We hit it. We come back. Here's the beautiful thing. The portal's just sitting, waiting for me. And the feedback is immediate. I pull it up. Four hours later, he mm. left my office. Okay. 12 weeks later, he's passed that school and he's now in that task force. Wow. And he comes back and he goes, bro, you are the assault whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> because he, he, this is this is all this is from him. Everything you said that would happen when the door opened happened. You know, things about my brain that I have no idea how you know a, about my brain and because of that and again because we've wrapped this within complex dynamic systems theory and we've wrapped it within the constraint model we're saying look bro you have a disadvantage if you don't organize and coordinate yourself against that disadvantage which say you had better take your high distraction control and you better know where to direct your eyes mm -hmm. because if you don't you're super prone to the impulsivity coming in and if you don't do that it's going to be window or aisle. That whole four-hour didactic component, his words, not mine, was the difference maker in being a no-go and a go. Hmm. Man, and what that, a story. That, that's extreme. Like four hours is extreme. But the least amount of time that I have ever had with a dude on this at a one-on-one -on -one level is 30 minutes. Show me another thing within cognitive performance. I don't care whether it's... ANAM, DSST, uh, some type of vestibular, fill in the blank. Show me something from traditional cognitive batteries that another person voluntarily, out of their own agency, spends 30 minutes asking, what does this mean? Hmm. Much less four hours. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
with the testimony of, you know, things about my brain that a hundred percent happen. This is exactly what happens to me when that door opens in the house. This is exactly what happens to me at flat range. This is exactly what happens to me under canopy. This is exactly what happens to me sub water when I'm doing water con. So now we're, we're crossing multiple performance domains. This isn't even talking about battalion commanders who, when you look at a single score, I can say, you really don't like change, do you? And the commander just kind of smiles and is like, no. I'm like, so you're a singleness of purpose guy. You like one task and to be able to maximize it at once and not have to deal with conflicting tasks. Is that accurate? Dude, yes, 100%. We've just crossed, what, six different performance contexts in which S2 interplays. Show me another thing that can do that. We're on the flat range. You familiar with yeah. shooting? Okay. Yep. So we're on the flat range. I know response flexibility and decision complexity are low for this guy. And I already know about him that he's super impulsive simply off the fact that this dude is about lethality. He came into our unit from a different unit and they are known for their ethos and their creed. And it is a way of life. Yeah. This is how we do things. This is a little different. The way that we go about things is it's a little bit more heady than blunt force. Um, and we don't do things as fast so that we can be tactically methodical and accurate and precise. And he's really, I knew he was going to struggle with that. So the easiest way to create that jam is that as you're moving to your position within the room, introduce another rule structure. You have to knock down this object on the way to your point. Well, what do we already know about this guy? He's going to be in such a damn hurry to get to his point that he's going to forget to knock that thing down. <laughs> There's a whole nother layer of complexity here that as I interrupt where you are in your action, when you go to knock that target down, you have to come back to where you left off. You're talking wow, freaking multiple steps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that about him because I know the problem set, having never seen him work, like we need to take reps in this. So if you look at reaction control, you've got a really simple way to reimpose rule structures on the flat range. So we just took the fit light system. And you have the fit light system and you have that light run and he has to shoot steel off that fit light system and then flip the rule structure. So if wow. yellow is this, and yes. pink is that wow. now I'm flipping the rule structure for you. Right. Uh, and we did that with lights. We did it with uh, post. So I wrapped duct tape on the post. I put it in front of his field of vision and I flip it, and he's shooting congruent or discongruent. And then also some parts of it are audible in the house. There are some audible commands you have to react to. So we did A8, A left, congruent, shoot left, 8 right, discongruent, 8 discongruent, A congruent, A left, 8 right, A left, he's shooting left steel, 8 right, he's shooting left steel. 
So that was some of the ways in which you took what's there at S2, build it out in an applied performance enhancement rep interval to get about that self-organization coordination. Wow. How'd he do in the beginning? Uh, I'm Because it's a <laughs> podcast, I'm tempering my language. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> we don't have the E on it. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. He, he was down 72 to seven and a half. <laughs> yeah and and again to your point like this is not something that they're paying for a course and they just want to be a better shooter or fisher or archer or like i mean this is not what this is about yeah. there are huge stakes mm-hmm. consequential to this 72 to 7 you know conceptual kind of narnia score so you're getting every possible profanity you can get you're getting physical destruction of property i mean he's beyond angry yeah. which is beautiful because if he's doing that there he's doing it in his head in the house and we already know all of that is impulse control yeah, yeah. so he those are some of, did you see change over time he yeah, I can see, I can share this. He started out bottom of the class and I, I'm talking buried now, certainly over our time together in the individual one-on-ones, a hundred percent, he got better. He got better on the shot clock. He got better on the shots out of five. He got better on the accuracy component. So all of your performance metrics saw an uptick, saw an uptick, but now can he do it? under evaluation mm-hmm. he started out bottom and he started out bottom because of that knockdown target thing like just it was a mess moving way too fast in the house so he also had canaries um there's another component called sectors of fire which are you know are you taking the proper drop down and barrel movements to your fellow assaulters he was at the bottom of the course for those so he had the most upticks on that so while he didn't finish at the top, what the really cool thing about him is because he had so many on the front end, he had the greatest delta across that cohort. Yeah. He had the single greatest reduction in ticks across that platoon. Um, that then you know, there's X amount of guys fighting for X amount of slots, less slots than guys. He got a slot. And he's currently still in the course that he's trying to, to kind of go for. And again, it's a ride or die for him. Uh, this is his third time at that course. Um, and he, I, I, could, I could definitively say this without S2, he would not still be in that course without S2. He wouldn't even have got a slot. There's no way. You know, you make a, a really important point. Just because you have a a disadvantage in a cognitive skill, you may not, with all the training, tens of thousands of hours, you're not going to become the best at that skill. But it's about improving and moving the needle within the context in which you're operating. I mean, we share that message all the time. It's about improving that skill in a specific context. And again, you know, small movements have big time consequences. In sports, in, in the military theater, small changes, you know, to avoid making a, a bad outcome decision 
have profound effects, significant effects. And so the goal isn't to take someone who's low and make them the elite 99th percentile on S2. It's about understanding how you're wired so that you can mitigate you know, your, your, your struggle points, your sources of inconsistent, inconsistency in the context and keep those from showing up and make sure you're taking advantage of the things that your brain does incredibly well. Scott, to take that even further, I was having a discussion with Paul Phillips the the other day, you know, and we were talking about, well, these low scores, you know, I mean, you know, what, what is before assessments, before S2, before any of this sports, military, all of these verticals have paid millions of dollars for player development coaches. Their entire existence is to get low scores better right? Now we have objective ways of getting them better, being able to coach them in ways, being able to use them in ways to get them better, right? So it's it's an interesting thing, right? We're, we're stuck here with some, okay, well, low scores, don't you want them to play bad or don't you expect them to play bad? No, actually we don't. We expect their coaches who are working with them to take this information and make them better. Ultimately, what Brandon's job is, what Paul Phillips's job is, is to make the 30s, 40s on S2 play or operate like a really high score, right? It, I mean, that's the whole idea behind player development. So using this as a tool for coaches to be able to uh, more directly tailor their coaches, uh, their their coaching and operationalization of these athletes is the whole, that's the holy grail. The S2 is not the holy grail. These coaches have always been, the player development specialists have always been the holy grail. Now we're just giving them a tool to be better at their job. As determined by, I would, in my mind, uh, your ability to conceptualize how to apply the S2 report to the given performance demands, right? Like that, that's the key. Like what, what good does it do to know the perception speed score of a baseball player? If you don't then take reps, novel type of um, training scenarios that help them identify pitch recognition at release so that then exit velocity is increased so that then on base percentage goes up. Like that is essentially if S2's goodness is in giving me that score, then the performance coach's goodness is in actually using it in a context specific application. Period. Dot. Yeah. Brandon, thanks, man. We're going to move into our last section, our three random funny, sometimes both, sometimes neither portion of the podcast. Let's get into the first question. How much better is Black Rifle coffee than Starbucks? In flavor or politics? <laughs> Yo, wow. This, 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 uh, Dropping this bombs pod- from overseas. <laughs> this podcast is near the end. Uh, did we really want to open yeah. that? <laughs> uh, okay, I, let's let's be... Uh, accurate about it first of all just a number of different varieties like that's that's kind of where the black rifle product uh, outshines 
Starbucks. Uh, Starbucks gets their variability by adding a bunch of syrups and things of that nature. Black Rifle gets their variability off of roasting. Um, so at that level, Black Rifle is far superior. And uh, off of patronage, uh, I have uh, a lot more friends who go to Black Rifle than Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> I love Black Rifle coffee. Yeah, that stuff's great. It's it's awesome, awesome spot. They got some pretty funny T-shirts too. Yeah, yeah. One <laughs> of them got me in trouble at Christmas. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I had the the f your sensitivity one on, and I I just I didn't even think about it, right? And I walk into my family's in Missouri, and we're traveling up, and we get there, and yay, and awesome, and like. All three of my middle sister's children are like below the age of 12 and I've got the F-bomb just rocking on my shirt. <laughs> and uh, she's like, bro. And I'm like, yeah, hey, it's good to see. Oh, yep. Mm. So I just rip it off and turn it inside out. Like, <laughs> my bad. Super sorry about that, sis. So. Second question. Do you have, uh, what's the funniest story you have while on a mission? Funniest. <laughs> oh, look, he's got. Um, this is it's from training. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, my wife is gonna kill me. All right. So, her father is in end of life, and uh, man, he heart failure, and like he just he went bad quick, and he went from bad to death in a jolting fashion. Right. Um, but in that bad phase, he's in a tremendous amount of pain. And so he would come in of in sleep, out of sleep, in sleep, out of sleep, and didn't really have an ability to tell us why he was in so much pain, but he's just agonizing when he's awake. So he's asleep and it's, uh, my wife's name's Rachel's. I call her Ray. So it's Ray, her mother and me. And we're just in the room doing what you do to try and support. And he rolls over and jolts up out of bed and he's just horseradish. <laughs> what? I, don't, I don't even know what that means. Um, so we, <laughs> we're, I start using that when I'm frustrated. Like when something doesn't go the way that I want it to go and I, I miss a mag change or, you know, I'd send a, sh a flyer or a shot out of five or something like horseradish. You know? So we're, um, we're, we're going through some, some CTEs and this one's, it's super difficult. It's one that you, you got to work it a few times to get yourself down to be where we want to be, which is sub 30 seconds all in the a and that's just kind of the center mass zone of the target but you're shooting 30 shots while moving on m4 and pistol with mag change with different stations and courses of fire there's a lot to to take in and that day we were at a previous station something didn't go right and i was like horseradish you know <laughs> And the guys just kind of pick up on it. Well, you're going to have a ton of mistakes at, at the ORT. And so we get to the ORT and guys are just like, horseradish, horseradish. <laughs> <and horse. laughs> 
So I feel like it's a little bit of a legacy of my uh, my wife's father and and uh, it was yeah that's that's probably the funniest story that I have is the way in which horseradish picked up traction. That's awesome. Now, is that does <laughs> is that still a part of do people say it with, or yeah with the particular o, um, ODA that I was with. Uh, that it really became a thing. It still to this day is a thing. I was with the uh, with one of the guys the other day. We were doing some stuff where I'll put him on a aerodyne bike at a really really high interval, and immediately off of that he has to submerge himself in water. So he's got to go subsurface, and I'll give him, you know, something like uh, three one twenty, you know, and he has to transfer the number to the letter of the alphabet stay subsurface while he figures that out and then surface when he has it figured out or when he is out of breath mm-hmm. and uh, i i gave him milk is what i gave him and he couldn't come up with k and he came up and he's like horseradish <laughs> <laughs> that's great yeah it's got a legacy <laughs> that is awesome are you a yeah. uh, are you a car guy Yes, absolutely. What is your favorite ride? If you, if I could give you a ride tomorrow, what what's the best if, ride I could get you? If you could give me a ride tomorrow, I would probably, off of performance, ask for a Lamborghini Aventador. But I don't think my wife would let me because she's in no way pretentious. Um, and she doesn't like the look of the Lamborghini. It's a little too Batmobile for her. But I do think I could convince her... To have you give me like a Ferrari 438. Okay. okay. That still might be too pretentious. So <laughs> as, a, as a decent compromise that I think she says she doesn't like this stuff, but she doesn't drive a RAV4. She drives a BMW X1. So I think if you could go a Porsche Macan S. Okay. That, that would be the one thing that would keep me from sleeping on the sofa. And still get uh, the performance, performance piece that I yeah. love. Yeah. yeah, Brandon, thank you so much for joining us, man. This has been one yeah. of the most most educational, understanding, getting to see the application conversations that I, I've you know been privileged to be a part of. Really appreciate uh, your time and how you're applying the S two and into all those impactful lives. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, it's uh, here's the deal. This. This is on the level of uh, Tesla or a regenerable rocket. Like This is something that people, I don't think, had an idea to even conceptualize. That two dudes watching a combine or the draft then conceptualized. And if you're in any way a fan of invention and innovation, like for me, I just marvel that you two dudes were able to put this thing together and to be included in the community just for 63 minutes. I'm beyond humbled and uh, couldn't be more grateful. I a hundred percent can say I am better at my job, better at increasing lethality and all of the good that comes off of that because of S2 facts period dot wow well, thank you that's a that's an incredible uh remark that you just made but you know the reality is brandon brandon and i knew 
that the only way for this effort to take root and to have an impact was having relationships with uh, folks like you, Brandon. So uh, the translators uh, applying it in real time to impact lives, that was our vision. Get us out of the way and empower you to be able to do it. So back at you. We're, we are grateful and thankful and uh, really value this relationship. Yeah, You're the man. 100%. No, you guys. It's, it's all you guys. Thanks for listening to the S2 Cognition Podcast. If you like the content we are putting out, please subscribe with that plus sign at the top of your app, leave a review about the episode, and share it with a friend. Follow us on Twitter at S2 Cognition and Instagram at S2.Cognition. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, please visit our website at s2cognition.com slash podcast. Thanks again for listening to the S2 Cognition Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, signing off for now. Talk to you on our next episode.